Creative Babble. I've had several calls with William Hobart, but each time I just hit a wall. He's unwilling to give me any details about the murders. Not the gruesome stuff, you know, but specific details that only the killer would know. What was the weather like that day? What were they wearing? What was the last thing he told his victims? It's almost like he wasn't there at all. We wanted to have one last call with Wild Bill, but this time we planned to agitate him a little bit just to see if we could get a different response. Here's one of the brainstorming calls John and I had about my conversation with Wild Bill. Okay, so here's what I don't understand about this because I'm thinking, well, there's five dead people. We know that for sure. Six, actually. And why would he make that up? Why would anybody take credit for that and then spend time in jail? Okay, let's go with the premise that there's somebody else involved with danger. I don't know who this person is, but let's just go with the premise that he was dealing with somebody else who's dangerous, who's connected, whatever, okay? And so they did this together. This other guy did it while Bill was the one who provided the boat and got the people to come to him, whatever it is. I don't know the scenario. Bill goes down. He's going down. He's going to prison for the rest of, for 35 years, no matter what. He has no benefit in giving that person up who may come and kill him. So he's just going to take the fall. Plus, he's getting all this fame and notoriety. He's this monster, which he likes being a monster but he doesn't want to admit that he's a monster. And I'm, I'm a monster, but I'm not a monster. I'm not Hannibal Lecter. I'm a reformed you monster. Know? Right. I'm, I'm, I'm dangerous, but I'm not dangerous. And so I think the most likely scenario is that he did it. Did he have help? Sure. Like he said, people forged documents. People probably in the government helped him with this, and somebody probably did that. But those aren't as actually accomplices to the murder. Are, are there other people involved in the murders? I don't know. I don't, I don't see how they would fit into this thing yet, but I feel like there's something else there. I'll tell you what I like about the question. I do believe that he killed these people, but what I like about the question is that it comes from left field and it puts him in a position where he has to defend the fact that he killed these people. That's exactly right. Well, if he was killing for money, well, where's all the money, right? Right. Okay. So was he rich or was he not rich when he was living in Panama? That would be a question I'd ask him. Did you have a lot of money? Were you living high on the hog? Or did you not have much money when you were down in Panama? So then if he says he was, which I think he will, because he likes that, he won't use a big partier and whatever. So then the question is, so you said you killed for money. Why did you need to kill if you had so much money? Because you said you didn't like it. And then the second part of that is you claim you killed for money. But I don't see how whatever money you amassed came from the killing. Like, you didn't get much from anyone you killed. So how does that make any sense? Yeah, and then the the follow-up to that is, well, how do you get a deed to somebody's property? I mean, we keep saying it if it's an easy thing to do. Like, the assumption is, oh, you kill somebody and you open their safe and you pull out the deed to their property and now you've claimed their house. But that's not the way it works. It has to be way more complicated than that. And and then to me, I'm... I'm thinking, well, you have to do a lot of work before the victim dies. How much of that work is the victim being compliant with? And then you kill the person. 
And then what's the process after that? How do you right. seal the deal? And he keeps, he, he said to you, oh, I, I've never killed anybody for their house. That's just ridiculous. Like, wait, what? <laughs> then why'd you kill him? And then he talks about how he takes their house after he kills them. So I don't know what's going on there. Well, and if these were contract killings, like you said, why bury them in your own property? Yeah, and the closest that I can think, what I think he means by being a hitman is that he thinks that he's getting money from killing and not from somebody else. So, well, he's getting it from Cheryl or he's getting it from Bo because he's taking their stuff. That's what I think he's interpreting as being a hitman. And then uh, you brought up one more point about being a rat. What, what were you talking about? Yes. So he's talked about how he would never rat somebody out. Being a rat's the worst thing in the world. But he's saying that the reason he killed Cheryl is because uh, Keith paid him. So why is he ratting out Keith? Yeah, that's a really good point, right? Because the worst thing in the world for him is a rat. And here he is saying, yeah. Keith was the one. That's why I killed Cheryl. Right. And then if that's true, just start trying to push him on specifics and uh, see see how much he'll give you. So he, he messaged me this morning, or actually while we were talking, and I said, hey, do you, do you have a chance to talk? And he goes, I don't have any minutes and won't have a phone till till the 1st. And then he goes, I'll call you when my girl gets me dollar signs, you know, money on the second. Yeah. So one of his uh, Bundy hoes has to refill his card, I guess. Oh, okay. I'll just run through what I'm thinking. All right. I definitely think you should tell him, hey, this guy I'm working with, he's a private investigator. He doesn't think you killed anybody. He thinks you're making all this up just because you like the attention. So I just don't believe anything this guy's telling me. That's why, that's why I, with the murder thing, maybe the evidence there, it's obvious. I agree, Occam's razor. If I were going to place a bet, my bet would be that he killed those five, six people, killed them by himself. That would be my bet if I had to lay money on it. But at the same time, he's lying about everything. So why isn't he lying about that? Well, he's not denying that he killed these people and he's already paying the price. So why not just tell his story? You know, I know that he says he wants to move yeah. on, but he doesn't. He's relishing in the, in, the, in the fame and in the attention. Yeah. And if he said he didn't do it, I mean, he'd lose all that. I'm John Taylor with the Twisted Podcast. And I'm Javier Leva with the Pretend Podcast. And this is Criminal Conduct Season 3, an American serial killer in paradise. When Javier called William Holbert after our discussion, he started with a few softball questions to ease into the conversation. I know that you don't want to talk about your family, but I wanted to know more about you as a child. Were you a bad kid or what was it like? I'll be honest with you. I had a really good childhood. I don't, I don't mean like, you know, like you talk about most people that have a situation like mine, they say like they tortured animals and they were an outsider and they, 
I was, I was really normal. I, my family, I, had, I, I grew up in like really as an only child. That's true. Um, but that's the only anomaly, really. I mean, my mother and my father were married, lived, you know, had, were, the home was a happy home. Nobody beat me. Um, I feel like, I feel like I had, was very well attended by my family. Family was very close, a real Southern family, you know, very close. Um, I played all sports through high school and junior high and all that stuff. You were voted Sorry? by your team, right? To be captain or something like that? Yeah, I was their captain, uh, the football. I was team captain my junior and senior year. But I mean, like, I was, you know, fairly popular in high school, participated in everything. No, I'm not like, when I was growing up, you know, it was really normal for boys my age to be in fistfights and stuff like that. But I mean, nothing, I never went to prison or never got arrested or, you know, or anything for anything substantial. I mean, I had a really, really normal adolescence and childhood. Yeah, you know, we, we've um, spoken to some people that were around high school with you and stuff like that. Nobody really wanted to talk to us, but nobody also gave us any indication that you were nothing but a normal kid. So mm-hmm. and what would your what would your high school teachers say about you? I think that I had, you know, several that I continue to remember now. I'm sure that they would probably be horrified to talk to me now after things happened, but I think that they would have probably said that I was, Maybe fun, a little bit combative, maybe, you know, I mean, like, I, I don't know, I, I like, like, debate, stuff like that. Was, you know, what, what I think what's surprising about your background is that, you know, like I said, you grew up in, in a, basically a farm, a southern town, a small town, and you mm-hmm. went to high school, you know, played football, and then you got married, and, you know, had a, a business. I mean, it just sounded like a normal life, right? It was a normal life. I think that what happens is, you know, I'll be honest with you, and it's something I'd like to really communicate with everybody. It's like what you focus on is what you become. You know what I mean? And uh, really, like the law of attraction is a real thing. And and the things that you focus on, and I, I remember focusing heavily on, like, reading about criminals, wanting to be a criminal. It's strange. I mean, it's, you know, honestly, looking back on it, it's very odd. But, uh, but I remember, uh, you know, like, being annoyed that in North Carolina there was no mafia and really wanting to be a criminal. And then I became a very good one. That's what you become. And that's what happened to me. I mean, I, I watched I like watched a million mob movies. And I just wanted to be a bad guy. I wanted to be a bad guy. I mean, I remember having that feel, like feeling trapped in a normal life and wanting to be bad. It's a strange thing. And not being bad. I mean, I know that seems really odd. But, but I think that in this instance, it was a case of art influencing life. You know, my, they're, on, they're my decisions. I don't have anybody to complain to about, you know, I'm, I made the mistakes. They're my mistakes. I own them. I, I did those things. I think the reason that I became such a, such a bad guy was because I wanted to. And I, was, I, tr- and I, and I focused on it. Wild Bill says he's a changed man. In fact, these days, he goes around calling himself Brother Bill. God bless everyone. I'm William Dathan Halbert from Panama Prison Ministry. He's born again and found Jesus while in a Panamanian prison. Jesus said, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and you shall be hated of all the nations for my name's sake. Yeah, in fact, William Hobart leads a syndicated Christian organization in Panama, and he's also a pastor at La Jolla, which is the maximum security prison where he's housed. You're also very religious. You found God and Jesus, and, and you're a spiritual leader in the prison. 
I mean, quickly tell me about that because I know we have a limited amount of time, and I know I you didn't want to. I didn't want to do it. I, I didn't want to do it. God sent me here to like, like I kept my foot my whole life in prison. I kept my foot in one in one pasture and then in the other pasture too. Like, yeah, I, I support the church and I help everybody in the church, but at the same time, I'm screwing all the chicks and making money off the corruption, you know. And so, I mean, like literally up until like 2019, then God sent me here, and it had and it got real. It's like, man. I'm taking everything from you. He took my wife. He took my money. He took my prestige. He took me everything and put me in a box without shit. And I thank him for that. That's the message I got from God in prayer. If you don't straighten your ass up, I'm going to kill you. I'm trying to get your attention. And he got it. And so I started running the church. And, man, that's been really hard. That was the really hardest thing I've ever done. To, to conform my life to what the demands of a pastor are. And I still, I'm still, I still fail all the time. I still get angry and, you know, I fail all the time, but, but Jesus Christ is my rock. I mean, it's the only thing that's allowed me to live through the hell that I've been in the last two and a half years in prison. The hunger and the pain is my relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the truth. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to diminish that. And I actually think that's great, but I mean, isn't it kind of ironic that a lot of, Criminals, they, they go to jail, and then all of a sudden they they find Jesus, and they start hiding. Well, most of it's bullshit. Religion. I mean, most of it's bullshit. I got my nose in the Bible. I'm writing books. Even, like, I don't, I don't know if you know or not, but I started a podcast even. So, I mean, like, yeah. I'm trying to do positive things. While Bill talks about a lot of things on his podcast, it's actually quite entertaining. Today, at Stone Jug, we're going to be talking about prison Christian conversions. By this we mean hardcore killers and bad guys like yours truly, Wild Bill, who have converted over to Christianity on the inside. Is it all bullshit? Is it just a disguise? Or have these bullet-tossing, raping, murdering monsters really been converted to Jesus Christ? Bill Holbert also likes to give women relationship advice. What is it that might turn a woman off about today's feminized man. We have we have a real problem in the world today of men becoming more feminine. Is there something about today's normal man that turns you off? Yes. The biggest would be the skinny jeans. I, I hate them so much. Oh, and he also has an episode where he described the best weapon to get away with murder. That a person who is like a hitman or a person who is a professional killer would use, and that's a garrote or a garret. Um, it's a piece of cable tied onto two pieces of wood that's used to slip over somebody's head from behind and strangle them. Now, you, now, like in the movies, they use a piano wire. You can't use a piano wire. That's ridiculous because you're going to get blood everywhere because a piano wire is going to actually cut into the skin. You have to use a fairly large, I mean, if you're going to be a professional, you're going to have to use a fairly large cable. And if you're curious and you're looking for Wild Bill's podcast, well, I have bad news for you. It's no longer available and was taken down by the hosting provider. When we come back, we're going to amp things up and ask Bill some really uncomfortable questions. One of the things that that I I saw a lot of inconsistencies in your answer, not only in my calls with you, but in your book. I couldn't get a good sense of the money situation when you were in Bocas. Because sometimes in, in your book, you're bragging about how much money you had. But then sometimes you cry about how poor you were. And so, like, which was it? Were you rich or were you poor? I don't think that I was either. Uh, I think that I had a, a cash flow 
issue. I mean, I, I don't think that I was ever poor. I don't ever remember being poor. And I don't remember crying about being poor, but, but, but like my leave my expenses because of the insane way that I was living, the absolute insane way that I was living my life were about $30,000 a month, which were, I was obviously an, an enormous amount of, you had to generate an enormous amount of money in order to live that style of life. And so I was, I had no anticipation of ever living beyond four or five more years. So I was trying to enjoy it at the time. And that's one of the things that drove me to continue to commit horrible crimes was the extreme draw of money every month that it took me to make to make ends meet with all the stupid shit that I was doing. But how much money at the mm -hmm. end of the day do you think you got from each of those killings? I made, off of the Browns, I probably made, I mean, the, if you leave the property out, I found $600,000 in the safe there. So, I mean, the Browns probably netted me about $650,000 at the end of the day. And then, um, maybe 200000 off of Bo Isklar and really almost nothing, almost nothing off of Cheryl Hughes. Um, what, uh, so, where did you so get was, the money from Bo Eisler? Like, where, cause I know you found the money from the safe of the Browns. He had, where was, he had, a, he had a safe and he had, a, he had a safe and he also had, not even, there wasn't much money in the safe, but he had a whole bunch of like pre columbian not pre columbian African, African art. It was like completely illegal shit, but I don't even know where the fuck he got it from. I don't know where he had, he'd found them, but, but he had a whole, a box of it downstairs and there was like 27 pieces. And each piece was like $200,000 or $20,000 and $35,000 for this piece. And they were masks. They were African masks. And so, and, and the, the auction house paid me, the auction house actually bought them. I didn't, I didn't make money off the auction. They bought it from me and gave me like a wholesale, like a really, really cheap price for them, I think. And then sold the shit out of them later. You know what I mean? And so, and all in all with Bo Eisler's, uh, art and all his collection, like you, you said you, Earned how much? I would think about two hundred thousand dollars in, in total. I mean, without without property or anything like that. So you're talking about like without property, you're talking you're looking at like eight hundred thousand dollars. You're almost like a millionaire with just these two kills. So why why mm -hmm. continue killing if you had that much money? Well, the the the, the Cheryl Hughes thing was a weird thing anyway. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do that. I remember you saying what you did with Cher was unusual from the other killing. You weren't doing it for the money. You were doing it because it was contract killing from Keith World, right? Right. And the thing about it was, is like, we had, okay, it's, it's difficult to explain because I talk sometimes about a cartel, but we didn't really have a cartel. Like, when you think of a cartel, you think of a boss who has a really tight organization, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't like that. I, I was the killer. And then there were some other guys that did other things and everybody worked together, but in only, only when it, only when it benefited everybody. Like if I, if I needed somebody, I needed to move something from point A to point B. I would talk to the traffickers, you know what I mean? To do that. Or if I needed, if I needed, uh, like some sort of shady lawyering done, some shady attorney work, we had a guy for that. And so, I mean, you know, it was just a, a kind of a, a loose group of criminals that worked together when it when it when it was convenient for their own benefit, so to speak. Wild Bill just admitted that he didn't have a lot of money. This certainly countered what he was writing in his book, which he indicated there that he just had tons of money. 
Also here, what he described is not a cartel. He's just describing criminals. And it just sounded like, you know, he hung around a lot of people who were unsavory and willing to do illegal things for the right price. So if he's gonna steal a house or he's gonna steal property or something from a victim, he needs to have a way to get rid of that. He has to have somebody he can sell it to. So obviously he's got connections with other criminals, but that doesn't make it a cartel by any means. You know, I think his facade is starting to crack. Just a, like a networking of, of fugitive underworld shit. And, and so it was kind of nice. I, kind of, I really liked it at the time. I asked you about Keith, and then now you're talking about the cartel, so like, or this group, right? So what... But it's important. I think it's important. I think it's important for the background to understand why it happened. So Keith asked me to kill his wife, and I said no, because I, one, I knew her, and she wasn't really a criminal. And I didn't think that what he wanted to do was very moral, even for me. Like, he's going to whack his old lady so he can go and run off with some new chick, and I don't know, and, and not have to pay her, basically, not have to give her her cut of the shit. So I thought that was kind of shitty, and I didn't. I just said, no, I'm not going to do it. And then we had a not a reunion, but like a get-together, like a barbecue, and all the guys were like, hey, he's asked you to help him, and you kind of got, you're obligated to do so, and blah, 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 and I'm like, fuck. And, and they were kind of like shaming me, like, oh, we thought you were like really a stone-cold motherfucker, and and so, so anyway, I ended up doing it. I ended up saying, well, I'll just do it. So anyway, but so that's how it went down. What, what's the connection, though? What's the connection between this group and Keith? Well, that, the fact that, the fact that I wasn't, I had no intention of doing the, the, the thing, but they kind of like, not peer pressure, but more like shamed me into doing it, I think. It was more like, hey, but he needs your help, and he's one of us. And you said Keith was part of that group? Well, Keith, Keith, Keith and his father-in-law run drugs to Miami or did. I don't know what the hell they do now. Yeah, but you said that this was part of the group that was egging you on? <laughs> exactly. He was one of the, the, the associates. I gotcha. More for his father-in-law, more for his right. new father. But, but anyway, that that stuff is all. I mean, like all that's changed now. When I when I got put in jail, everybody went running. You know, everybody went running. Like all the rats jumped ship and hauled ass because nobody wanted to go to jail. Nobody was sure whether or not I what I would do. And I, of course, I didn't rat on anybody. So. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. You did rat on somebody. You said there's nothing worse than a rat, but you had no problem ratting out Keith, right? And Keith ratted on me. I didn't rat out Keith. The fucking Keith that ratted on me. I mean, what am I supposed to do? He ratted on me. It was him that it was him that put the fucking cops on me. Wasn't me. And so I mean, like I just told the truth. I mean, it's not a rat. I didn't rat out Keith. There's nothing worse than a rat. He set me up basically. I mean, like when they asked me, they asked me why'd you do that. I told them what the fuck. I mean, I read the expedient. I read how he he told all kind of talked all kind of shit about me and so on and all this other stuff. And, after 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 paying me fifty grand a whacker. So my buddy, you've heard the podcast, right? I'm not able. I'm not able to listen to it at all because my internet's so slow. I can't. I can't do it. Oh really? Okay. Well, I have a co-host who he's a former secret service agent, private investigator. I mean, he works a secret government contract, so he has a law enforcement background. And he was listening to your mm -hmm. story, and he's like, you know. I have a theory that I don't think Bill did any of these crimes. I think he's taking the fall for somebody else. Yeah, I wish. But I like that theory. Let's get Bill out of jail. I mean, what's so crazy about that? Maybe you're taking the fall for one of those other guys. Well, I wish I hadn't done all those things, if you want to be honest with you. I mean, it would be nice to have a conscience that was clean without having to work, without having to think about it. even if it, even. 
I think it would be better to serve the time in Gusli than, than than have to deal with your own country. Well, part of the reason why he thinks this is because you offer very little details about the actual murders. It makes us wonder, like, did he even do this? Wonderful. I, I, why don't you propagate that theory? That sounds that sounds like the thing to do. Please. All right. All right. Well, but, uh, poor Bill and poor Bill in Central America got railroaded for a crime he didn't commit. I like that story. So, John, I, I knew that question was going to get a reaction, but but why? Why did you want to know whether he was the one that actually did this or not? Because it seems pretty obvious that he was the killer, right? I mean, from an investigative standpoint, he just wasn't giving any details. And so if you're looking at it like that, you need cooperation. You need to be able to put together what he's telling us. He just all he said is, hey, I did it. That's good enough. And that just I wasn't buying it. And I definitely believe that he was involved, but I also know that he likes to lie and he'll do, say anything that puts himself in a favorable light. And so I wanted to throw a question at him that I know he hadn't gotten and that he wasn't ready for. Yeah, I agree. I think that he spun a lot of lies at me, half-truths here and there, but that was the most authentic response he gave me. I, I agree. Yeah, and so for me, I think, yeah, he definitely did pull the trigger, but going in, I just wasn't sure. Because I never thought that he wasn't involved, but he just may not have been the one to pull the trigger. And But he could take all the glory of being the one who pulled the trigger anyway because of his current incarceration. It sounded like he did have a little bit of a conscience there. It actually surprised me, his response. Walk me through the process of seizing somebody's property like the Browns. No, it's well, let me explain, because the shorthand is that while Bill killed these people for their property and all of a sudden you're the rightful owner, and it's not like that, right? It can't be that simple, right? I'm asking you, people say, oh, he was doing this. How the fuck could you even do that? You can't, I mean, like what they're, what they're accusing me of, you can't even do. How am I going to go into the registro, which is like the, the registry, and change papers? I mean, how could I even do that? Well, then how'd you do it? What I did is I, I talked to the boys and everybody got together and there was a lawyer there. And I don't want to say his name. I don't want to get him in any control. But the lawyer said, I know a guy that we can pay in the registro to change the papers and and I'll do, and I'll sign off on them, blah, 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 blah. And so, and I don't know how they did it, to be honest with you. I gave him $10,000 and they did it. Well, what was the process like when you approached the Browns, when you approached Bo Eisler? Like, how did you lure them into your trap? What was the logistics of seizing the property? Great. Well, like seizing the property when he's dead, you just go pick it up. I mean, it's not like he's dead. And yeah, I mean, they can't do anything about it. So, I mean, like. How far along the real estate buying process do you get? before you kill them? Like how much prep work do you have to do to actually seize the property? I mean, I, I you, all that was done after. I didn't do any of it beforehand. I got you. I mean, like, I, I didn't do any of it. You worry about this shit after, you don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the, the thing is, here's the thing that happened about the Browns. Uh, the Browns, I was going to get paid, right? And so I went and I did the job and I found a shitload of money in the house. I mean, a shitload of money, like 600 and something thousand dollars in cash. So I found this fucking cash and I was like, well, I don't need him to pay me because I just got paid more than a whole lot more than the contract was for. I don't know how they did it because I'm not a lawyer. So, but the, the, the first time I didn't do anything, they did that. And that's how I got paid. That was my payment for it. And then the second time when I, it was already done and I knew the lawyer because I had talked to the lawyer before. And so Bo Asper was killed or I killed Bo Asper. I killed Bo Asper. I found all the paperwork for the house that he had there. And I took it to the lawyer and I said, hey, can you fix this? And he's like, yeah, I'll fix it for $10,000. And I said, sounds like sounds good to me. 
And that's what we did. So according to Wild Bill, he killed people for their money and their property, but he didn't do hardly any legwork ahead of time to know exactly how much money he was getting from them. He's a smart guy. I just don't buy it. Yeah, I don't buy it either because I know from talking with Sharon that Sharon knew that her friend Boy Eisler was talking to this couple who was interested in buying the house. It seems like there was some sort of grooming process to get his victims in his net, but he didn't own up to it. He was just shutting it down. Like it was as easy as he's like, well, the way you steal their house is you kill them. And you steal their house. It was that simple, but I, I doubt that. Can you tell me why you would bury your victims in your own property if you're working for this organization? Like, doesn't that See, seem that's like another a... Thing. That's, another... Uh-huh. that's another thing that's blown way out of proportion. They said, oh, he buried, he buried people in the yard of the house. What the fuck? That never happened. I buried people two kilometers away on a different island that I owned. It wasn't on my property. It was it was my property. I owned it, but it was on a it was in a completely different place. It wasn't where my house was or anything. It wasn't where anybody wasn't even where the farm was. It was so far away. I mean, it was like two kilometers away by yeah, boat. But it's, but it's your property, and if somebody finds it, listen, understand how that works. This is interesting because I've never told this to anybody before. But the way that you get rid of a body in the Caribbean, what do you do? You have a body. What do you do with it to get to get to to be done with it. Well, in the Caribbean, this won't work in the United States or anywhere that's not tropical. But in a place like Bocas, where it's super tropical and rains all the time, in the soil, there are a blue million little bugs and critters. So what you do is you bury the body in the ground and you leave it in, you leave it there for about three months. And then after it's, after it's done, you dig it back up and you put all the bones, because the only thing left is bones, bones, hair, and you know, like teeth and stuff. I mean, there's not, there isn't anything left. The little critters are so thorough that they eat it all. I mean, like, like really eat it all. And then you, because I mean, the, the solar is just full of these little carnivorous bugs. And so you, then you put it into a burlap sack and you take a, hand, a sledgehammer and bust it into little bitty pieces and pour it into the ocean. Everybody says, why don't you just go, you just go and throw it in the ocean? That's a great way to go to jail. Because I mean, almost, I've never, if you put a body in the ocean, it will come back to haunt you. That will occur. Right. I don't care if you put concrete shoes on, I don't care if you drape it in chains. That shit floats again. I mean, it will float again. I don't know how many bodies they pulled out of Bo- just out of Bocas when I was living there. People that were killed, you murdered. And so, I mean, that's a that's a terrible way. I mean, everybody. I don't know why you didn't just throw them in the water. It's because you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. That's why. And so, so that, I, I try to do things thoroughly. And so, if there's nobody, there's no crime. But in this case, well, there was a body. So I asked Wild Bill, why did he bury the bodies in, on his own property? And, and instead of answering that question, he got all professorial with me about how to get rid of bodies, you know? But even that answer doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, those bodies were there for years. So it wasn't like he put them in the ground and three months later was going to dig them up and he just got caught in the meantime. So that didn't happen. So what he's t- saying about the bugs and the insects, that may be true, but that certainly didn't seem to be why he did it. And the other thing is, that just seems awfully risky. I mean, you're you're going to bury a body, which you could get caught doing it. They're going to dig the body back up to take them somewhere else. Uh, that's just a lot of opportunities uh, to get caught. And for me, I think he buried them on his property because he didn't think anybody was going to come looking for these people. And he just was lazy. It's just the easiest way to do it. You know, he's got woods or jungle around his house. He buries them and nobody's going to come looking, so it doesn't matter. 
So along with Criminal Conduct, John and I juggle other podcasts and projects. And I'm currently working on a documentary series for an unrelated project. And during the filming, I mentioned to the production company that I've been talking to the serial killer and they were intrigued, but really the conversation ended there. And, and so when Javier and I were talking, we thought this could be an opportunity to kind of leverage Bill's ego and see if kind of mentioning the, the prospect or the idea of a documentary involving Bill would get him talking. All right. So I want to give you an update on the production company mm -hmm. because um, they listened to everything that I've recorded. I kind of put all the interviews together and mm -hmm. I sent it off to them and they listened to it. And um and they said point blank, unless this guy offers you any more details about his victims, they're not interested. So if you're interested in this TV deal, then they're going to want some details and they're going to want to know that you're cooperating because I got to be honest with you. I feel like you're giving us a lot of generic answers, but you don't really want to answer anything. No, I don't. I got my own personal reason. And why is that? Tell me about it. I mean, if I, I, just, I don't want to. I mean, I mean I, I, how can I tell you if I, if I can't tell you? You know what I'm saying? But, but I mean, like, what are we talking about? They want, what do they want that I'm not giving? I don't, well, I mean, I understand what you're saying. They want like this in-depth play-by-play story, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, what do I get out of that? Well, I mean, you get all the fame and the girls and the books and the podcasts, everything you're craving. I mean, isn't that why you're doing all this? Like someday somebody's going to come to me and say, we're going to give you, you know, this month for your stories. And that's when I'm ready to tell the whole fucking thing. But until that occurs, I'm not going to do it. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it's not, doesn't behoove me because I'm motivated economically completely. Fame and girls and shit like that. I got all the fame and all the girls I got when I got a million dollars. You understand what I'm saying? So until that occurs. So you're not, you're, I'm not so you want me to tell them you're not interested in this Netflix special or anything like that? Let me, let me call you back. I've got to buy some more minutes real, real fast. I got to buy some more minutes and I'll call you right back. Okay. Is Wild Bill finally going to share more details? That's after the break. Hey, so what we were talking about was going into a little bit more details about the killings. And I know why you don't want to talk about it because you want to move forward. But, I mean, it's that chicken egg thing. You want that big fat paycheck oh, yeah. to tell your story. But, uh -huh. yeah. It's not, it's not like that. It's not like that. I'm not going to tell that. I mean, I may tell that whole story one day, but I'm not going to do it for free. I'm just being honest with you. And people can like that or not like it, but it's just how it is because I'm the one that has to deal with it. And just for the gratification of everybody who's listening, I'm not going to give that away. I'm, I gotta eat. I'm in a Panamanian prison where they don't give you fucking food. You have to buy your food. You have to buy your clothes. They don't give you that shit. So, I mean, you know, and I'm not asking anybody for sympathy. Ah, oh, he's a terrible bastard trying to profit off his crimes. I'm really not, actually. I'm just trying to survive. And so, but uh, but in this world that we live in, it's, it's not free to eat. It's not free. And so I need it. And, and I also want to take in my family and other things, too. And so, so in the day, and like I said, I'll return to the fact that when I'll be really happy to tell play-by-play play and do the whole story and work really hard on that, when it becomes profitable to do so, it's I mean if they come up with a cash figure, I'll be really interested in talking about it, and I'll and I'll give you a good show too, because I'm a workaholic and I give you a good show. But I mean, for free, no way. For Wild Bill, talking about his victims is painful. Talking about what he did could get him killed. But if the price is right, Wild Bill is absolutely willing to talk. In the end, it's really all about the money. <laughs> <laughs> 
The question is, can a serial killer like Wild Bill ever be redeemed? I asked that question to psychologist Jan Canty. The short answer is no. The basic personality is set in cement. However, what we do know from recidivism studies, both at the federal and state level, is that there is only about a 1.5% chance of a murderer committing murder again once they are released, that the number of years that go by the, the threat lessens. That doesn't mean it's gone. You know, murder is mostly a crime that's committed between the ages of 19 and 25, and then it, it, it goes down after that. But I, in terms of redemption of being a model citizen, no, there's no hope of that going to happen. I, he'll probably, if he were to be released tomorrow, he would bumble along and get into swindling. And, you know, he, he'd be just this sleazy person in the background. But I wouldn't jump to the conclusion that he would go back into serial murder automatically. But they're incapable of, of full empathy. It, if they have any, it's fleeting. It doesn't really stick with them. That's why he wasn't able to remember the names of the people he murdered, which for most people, that would not escape your memory. They're operating at 90%. I mean, they're not, they look human and they, they have a vocabulary and they can do many things, but empathy and judgment are severely lacking in these individuals. And the scary thing is, is that a sociopath, which is what Hulbert is, can pass for a normal individual until they're crossed. And then they can become very arrogant and abrasive and make mistakes because they lash out. I wish I wasn't famous. I wish I'd stayed and, and, and been continued to be a landscaper in Western North Carolina. And, you know, and, and that would have been a happier man. But I think in the end, everything's going to work out okay. I do. I believe that in the end, that, that I'm, they're going to be, there's going to be a, a happy sunset for Bill. But I'm going to have to walk through a river of shit and blood to get there, you know? But the Panamanian law, when I was arrested, was that the maximum sentence was 20 years for anything judged in a single process. All of mine was judged in a single process, and they broke it off of my ass for 46 years. So no matter what happens, I'm getting out of jail. That's another thing. So everybody's just going to live with that. You know, you've been uh -huh. sentenced for a significant amount of time, and, but you said that you see yourself getting out and, and seeing daylight again. Is that is that your plan? I mean, do you think you're going to well, get out? No Don't you have like keep me? There's no there's no way they can keep me in prison forever. It's certainly not 46 years. In Panama, you do 66 percent of your time, so I have to get to two thirds of that. And that's 30 years. But on top of that. If you work, they lower your sentence, blah, blah, blah. If I lose my appeal, I have an appeal in right now that would set me free in two years. But if I lose that appeal, they can't possibly keep me in prison more than another 12 or 13 years. So, I mean, like, the reality is that before I'm 55 years old, no matter what happens, I'm going to be free again. Have you ever thought about running? I mean, did that not ever... No, I did. I mean, I did it first. I did it first. But now, I mean, I'm so invested in it now, man. I mean, I'm really, I'm invested. I've got... 12 years put in here. So, John, what do you think about his response? It's a pretty unsettling comment. But, I mean, I have heard things like that before from prisoners in the U.S., but mostly minimum and medium security prisons, which is that they probably could escape if they wanted to, but they just choose not to because they don't want to get caught. They don't want to be a fugitive. They might as well just do their time and get out. You know, it seems to, to me, just looking at his posts on social media and just the pictures, that he has a lot of freedom within that prison. I mean, he's 
getting KFC. He's getting McDonald's brought to him. He's working out. He doesn't even dress in like prison uniform half the time. And according to him, he could just walk around prison talking to me on his cell phone. So I don't know. It doesn't seem to be that secure of a prison. Yeah. And like everything with Wild Bill, it's both extremes. Right, He's in this awful place where he's starving to death and in terrible conditions. And then in other conversations, he'll talk about how much freedom he has and he can do whatever he wants. So, you know, it's he's rich and he's poor, you know, so he, it's, he's always on both sides of the fence. And, and wish I hadn't, wish I had it to do all over again. I would have I done things a lot differently. But anyway, I wish I hadn't killed anybody either. I'd do things a whole lot differently if I could go back that far. But but that's neither here nor there. Worst case scenario, worst case scenario, I gotta do 12 more years in prison. Well, it's not the way, I'm not the end of the world. And best case scenario is tomorrow I go free. So we'll have to wait and see. If William Dathan Holbert serves his entire sentence, he won't be out of prison for another 34 years. But through legal wrangling, he could be out of prison in a few years. Let's hope his claims of redemption are genuine for all of our sakes. Special thanks to our executive producer, Advertise Cast, and to Ruby Rose Fox for allowing us to use her song, Bury the Body, during our intro. Her music is available anywhere you can purchase music. If you enjoy the podcast, find us on social media at Criminal Con. And please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. And make sure to listen to our other shows. John Taylor hosts the Twisted Podcast, and I, Javier Leva, host the Pretend Podcast. Alright, this was the last episode of Season 3, but don't worry, John and I are already working on Season 4. I hope you enjoyed this season. If you did, please find us on social media at CriminalCon on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, also, write a review and let us know what you think of the show. Also, Javier Leva and I will be at the True Crime Podcast Festival in Dallas, Texas, August 26th through the 28th. We'll be there talking about criminal conduct and all things true crime. So if you get a chance, check us out. Check out the website. All right. That's it for now. We'll talk to you again for season four. Creative Babble.